Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Art Sense. Today we are going to be talking about Wounded Deer, Wounded Deer by Frida Kalna, painted in 1946. Awesome. So, before we dive into the, the painting itself, I think it's important to talk about uh, probably the most famous unibrow in, in history, um, or at least the, the woman who sports it. But so Frida Kahlo was interesting for more than just her art. She was also like pretty involved in the Communist Party in Mexico um, and really helped perpetuate this idea that post-colonial Mexico was not inferior. It wasn't a, so it's called Mexicanidad. Um, and it's this idea that just because you are not your colonizers, um, it doesn't make you inferior. Like you and your colonizers are just as capable of, of being fulfilled and satisfied and that your colonizers don't own you. Um, and that was a, an idea that was widely adapted by the Mexican Communist Party. And, and then perpetuated by different artists in Mexico. Um, it was definitely a response to really all of the, God, all of the shit they endured at the hands of Catholics and Europeans. And yeah, and, and what makes Kaula most interesting, at least in my opinion, is she's like a visual magical realist. And magical realism is this deeply South American tradition in art and in literature um, that basically takes folklore and and makes it applicable to daily life. And I, I think the another clear example of this is A Hundred Years of Solitude. Um, it, it pretty accurately encapsulates this idea of magical realism where it's like everything that is happening is completely plausible within the context of the story. Um, and it incorporates a lot of, a lot of folk. Um, it, it's it's a way to depict everyday events through the lens you're like taught to see them. It's a narrative style that you kind of grow up with. Um, and it's, it's a narrative style that like hits pretty deeply for me and hits pretty, pretty near home base. Um, I, I'm half Mexican um, and, and magical realism was not just like the backbone of my childhood, but it remains the backbone of of my interactions with family now, like you, you develop these deeply intense lores within your family, and and Kaula's art really caught that for her. You see her often depicted as sort of a blend of divine masculine and divine feminine, as a blend of animals. And the painting we're going to talk about today, the wounded deer, she's part deer, well, specifically part buck, part herself. It's her head on on a buck. Um, but you don't often see magical realism in Europe, in North America, outside of indigenous communities. It's a very, it's a deeply indigenous style. And that's what makes it so unique and so interesting, um, especially within the context of Kaula, because she, she was hella Mexican. And I feel like I'm allowed to say that because <laughs> I am also quite, quite Mexican. Um, and God, I fucking, I love her involvement within the Mexican Communist Party. Like, I also, 
uh, self-identify as communist um, and unregistered with the Communist Party here in the U.S. So I, when I was reading up on Kowloon, sort of reviewing some stuff for her, I was like, damn, like, I get it. I get this woman. I don't understand her, her ailments and what she went through, but I understand this, this woman. Um, and I think more specifically, more specifically, um, sorry about that. <laughs> I got a text from my mother. Um, her, so Kella tried to paint outside of her pain. Well, she, she made an effort to capture it and she definitely included that in, in her work. Um, her, her work was more deeply political than anything, um, especially her, her later work. She was pretty feverishly trying to paint the communist, uh, in her. And I, and I just, I applaud her for her ability to be at once like vulnerable and intimate in her work, uh, but also political. Like I feel like vulnerability, fragility, and and politics don't tend to to go hand in hand. But she did it well. Um, and during <laughs> so, to give you more personal context about Kaula, uh, before we go too far off of the deep end into communism, she was on track to be a doctor. So she, art was never her intended career, but due to a bus crash that left her bedridden from a, like, sort of the, the later half of her life um, and the, the complications that came from that when she was, the bus crash happened when she was 18. Um, she was sort of, she was forced to, to abandon that idea that she would be a doctor. Um, and, and art was sort of her saving grace, which Again, the magical realism, going back to that, your family is your support, that lore you go back to in times of trauma and in times of intense conflict, just because that's what you got. It's, it's, it becomes your spine when everything else is, is falling apart. Um, and she was a pretty prolific creator. Like she, she created quite the volume of work um, and quite the volume of like contrary work. She was one of the only surrealists that existed in Mexico at the time. Um, and she didn't even enjoy being identified as a surrealist. Um, surrealism is like, it, it's vaguely European magical realism, um, but also not surrealism makes an effort to juxtapose images and, and everything that comes with that, whereas magical realism doesn't. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the most stark difference. But she dabbled with cubism, dabbled with realism. She, I mean, she was just a very talented, multifaceted artist. Um, and if you look in her early work, it's a very delicate art. She, she was very uh, capable of capturing a feminine spirit, but also a masculine spirit. So she, she, she really tried to capture both sides of herself and honor both sides of herself. And as far as female artists in the 20th century go, that that's pretty fucking revolutionary and that's why she remains like a feminist icon to to this day um her art blew up because it did have the capacity to capture both the divine feminine and the divine masculine and I say divine feminine divine masculine it, her art had the capacity and it did capture both masculinity and femininity while still being accessible um and that's just visually it, it shaped a movement it shaped feminism as we know it now um at least in my opinion but so we we've gone off of the rails there um and that is fine <laughs> i can continue going off of the rails kella just interests me 
deeply. Um, she was also so fucking connected in the art world in the 20th century. Like, holy shit. She, mm, she knew Picasso, like, like intimately <laughs> knew all of these phenomenal artists. She, she also, if you look into one of her first gallery showings in the U.S., Georgia O'Keeffe came. Georgia O'Keeffe is also, like, a feminist, uh, icon, if I may. She's the, uh, vaginal flower lady. Um, and, and I just, like, I can't imagine being alive and this connected during that time, because, like, these are all artists I worship. Um, and so it, it's just, I, I'm speechless, honestly. Like, I'm a little flustered. <laughs> I, I, I love everything about the idea of, like, Georgia O'Keeffe and Frida Kahlo staring at a painting together and being like, this, this shit's phenomenal. <laughs> Similarly with Picasso. But uh, let's talk most specifically about one of her, her last works, The Wounded Deer. And I say wounded, it's honestly, like, I don't know why, but the U-N-D, I always pronounce as, like, an OMD sound, so just bear with me, wounded deer. Um, it, it was Kella's sort of last painful uh, expression of the physical pain and the, the, the journey she was on towards death, really. Uh, so you notice in the front of the painting, there is like a branch. Um, it's tradition in Mexico to leave like broken branches on graves. Um, I honestly don't know. We just did it as kids. I, I've never had anyone explain it to me. So, uh, I can't deep dive into that, but it is like an acknowledgement of the death that is to come. And then her depiction as a buck is super interesting. And you notice like the number nine pops up a bunch. So she has nine points on her horns. There are nine trees. There are nine arrows in her. And nine, as far as I understand, it's a... It's a pretty Eastern, it, well, within Eastern schools of thought, the number nine um, is a pretty important number. Um, and that is because, dot, 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 I want to give you an accurate definition of why this is important. Um, it's like an earthly, okay. So as far as this says, it's a symbol for earthly elements as well as the underworld. So again, you see this idea that like she's making peace and sort of reconciling with her own death, acknowledging that she is wounded. You also notice the concentration of arrows is along the spine. And, and this painting came about after her last sort of major operation to correct her spine. Uh, and it failed. So she was bedridden for a year after that. And that's when you started to really see just this crazy feverish style of hers emerge. Like the brushstrokes become much more heavy handed. The like fragility is going on. Like it's still, there's, there's this intense feeling of fragility, but the actual style, like the very effeminate, softly brushed painting style um, goes away. Like this is a much more harsh palette. It's a much more harsh sort of form of painting. There's more texture in the oil. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting for a variety of reasons, uh, largely like, God, like making peace with one's own death through art, um, though not like a new idea. I, I just find deeply heroic almost like, I don't know, being, being on one's deathbed and being like, this is going to be, this is my final painting. Like what? Oh, oh, she's just 
I admire her for such strength. And the other interesting thing, too, is her face in it. You would think, like, okay, wounded deer, in tons of pain, lots of arrows. She should be in physical pain. Um, but she just looks so unmoving and so strong. So <coughs> just so capable and... and I don't know. I, I admire the strength and the fragility that she is allowing to exist in here. Um, and, and again, magical realism, obviously like a huge, huge ode to that here. Um, she had a pet deer, <coughs> which I imagine largely influenced how, how she interacted with deer. Um, and deer are like, not revered or like revered but they're definitely I don't know maybe it's just like a Mexican thing but we really love deer <laughs> um like I remember growing up even in the U.S. my mom was like you you are nice to deer you don't kill deer like deer protect you and again I have no context for for why that is but we we as a people love deer um and so yeah no it's it's just the occurrence of the note, like, her, her symbolism is intentional, right? Like, we can talk on and on about her reconciliation with death, but the symbolism in this is very intentional, and you see that a lot in her other works, where symbolism is just, it's like low-hanging fruit. She wanted you to, or at least it feels like she really wanted you to understand where she was coming from, and so she just gave you the answer. Like, little could be left up to interpretation. Um, I mean, you can obviously skew whatever you want, but it's in, it's interesting. And then you see this, like, so there's this deeply earth-toned color palette uh, in the foreground, and then in the background you see this, like, very placid lake, like, these very soft blues. Um, at least personally, I see a lot of, like, peace with that. There's a lot of, like, journeying towards peace on the shores of peace, if I may. Uh, but then there's there's one more little piece, and uh, she painted karma into the bottom corner, the bottom left corner of the painting. Um, and it, it's fascinating because she did have like quite a quite an inclination towards Buddhism. And karma as a concept is that you are sort of experiencing ailments and pains that you're indebted to serve like you are getting what you gave in a previous life so karma isn't like oh you fucked up in this life it'll bite you in the ass later karma is like in your previous life you were a horrible person and therefore you are paying for it by being in a particular class or having a particular financial situation or like going through the motions of the same pain that you caused others um so it's like an atonement or it's, it's an idea of atonement. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting that, like, that's a huge thing. Like, the, the if the onus is on you for all of the pain in this life, like, that's a huge, huge thing to either make peace with and to live with, right? And she had, like, a pretty... She had a beautiful but challenging life. Like, there was no joy in her life that didn't come with, like, this backbone of pain, especially after the accident. Um, and then, of course, she dated Fuggo, married twice. She twice married. This is what I'll never understand. These beautiful, strong, feminine artists are attracted to assholes. And I mean, I get it. 
there's appeal in everything and in everyone, but she married the same bastard twice. I also am not the biggest fan of Diego Riviera's, like, work. Um, like, his murals, they're fine. They're beautiful. But he was just, like, such a shitty human being. <laughs> um, and the two of them just, like, they had affairs left and right. Like, it was effectively an open marriage on both accounts, but they also fought, like, relentlessly. <laughs> um, and I just, I, oh, oh, it's one of those, like, girl, like, do better. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, he was just an asshole. Like, he's a well-documented asshole, and those are really hard to come by. Like, in every generation, there's one, and this one is just a step above the rest. Um, and the other, like, part that I uh, have issue with is throughout a lot of her career, she was just written about as, like, Diego Riviera's wife, um, and so there was this condescending narrative that followed her every time she, she tried to, like, show her art or, or be in a more public playing field, um, so, so he was like, oh god, it just makes me mad. He's like the ghost that haunted her work and the ghost that haunted her image, um, and then also broke her heart constantly. I don't even remember what we were talking about before that. That was super tangential. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I am bad at following one trail of thought. Uh, I mean, postmodernism does that to a lady, you know. That joke probably only makes sense to me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so the wounded deer, by and large, it's a reconciliation piece with her own death. Um, it's her sort of expressing, not necessarily sorrow, but I would almost say, like, making peace with all of the pain that she was forced to endure in this life uh, through the vessel of, like, well, I deserved it because I must have done X, Y, and Z in my previous life. And, like, again, that's a really hard thing to die with. Like, imagine if you, but yeah, put yourself in her shoes. You have to go through an amputation at one point your spine doesn't work you are bedridden for like the last half of your life you are never given the acknowledgement that your husband is given even though you're an objectively just like more talented artist you get your heart broken by him you have to face racism and being like put on a pedestal of exoticism um because you like wear beautiful dresses and throughout all of this you're like no 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 I got everything I deserved for the pain that I, and suffering that I caused in a pre- like, oh my stars. Um, and sort of on that, uh, in, well, hold the phone. Before we get there, um, it, it is just fascinating. Like, her getting to term, becoming, coming to terms with your impending death and accepting that you got what you deserved. I'm not saying she deserved any of this, but I'm saying her acknowledgement of karma indicates that she, in some capacity, believed that she deserved this. It's just so powerful. Like, artistically, it's such a feminine thing to do with the strength, that, that masculine strength. Like, she... I don't even, she's just like this perfect embodiment of both spirits. She's, she's just incredible. Um, as a human, as, as, a, as a painter, um, and as frankly, like a personal role model 
Frida Kahlo's strength is just something I, I personally find to be unmatched. I don't know any other people or artists who could have gone what she went through and, and come out saying, I'm okay with it. Uh, and so sort of, sort of on that, another, <coughs> God have mercy, um, another, and I will call him an artist, uh, even though he did not paint or draw or do visual mediums, he wrote really impressive uh, books, um, specifically very just impressive prose. Malone Kundura in The Unbearable Lightness of Being spends like this whole first little chapter talking about things happening in cycles. And so when something happens over and over again, if you are always going to be reincarnated, uh, life takes on a dullness to it, right? So if you approach life with this idea that you will come back, you will pay for your sins, and you will do that a million times over, you you lose that same sense of excitement um, and unknowing. And it, I'll, let me find the quote. We can, it's right here. I, I also love this book. It's one of the only books I ever bought first edition. And I was like, this is worth every dime. Um, so yeah, here we go. There is an infinite difference between a revolutionary who occurs only once in history, and a revolutionary who eternally returns chopping off French heads. Um, there's a dullness to coming back. Uh, there's there's a, a dullness, a sweet dullness, to the idea that you are always revived. Um, it's a dullness that I find comfort in, personally speaking. But it's it's... It's fascinating to see how she captured that in her art and didn't make it dull. It, she made it an exciting, an exciting journey towards, towards that. Um, so yeah, to, to end on, on that note, making peace with the, the shit you did in a previous life by acknowledging that you are nothing but a reoccurring being, that's some pretty fucking powerful stuff. Um... And just magical realism coupled with Buddhism. Holy hell. Frida Kahlo will forever uh, be an idol of mine. I look forward to uh, hearing my own voice on this tomorrow. <laughs> Bye.